0: Appreciate everyone's presence this morning. Looks like we've got a good number with us today. I know we've got some out uh, due to illness. We might have some that are out of town, uh, but we're glad for the presence of each one this morning. We're really glad you're here. I got some f- former members. Is that how we should describe them? I'm not sure I'm ready to give that up yet. Chase and Natalie are here with us today uh, and uh, we're really glad to see them. Uh, Chase, Spent a lot of his growing up years here at Oak Mountain, and uh, we're always glad to see him and his brother when when they come back. So that's great. I'm glad they're here. Let's turn, if you will, to the book of Romans today, the book of Romans. We're going to take our thoughts from a passage in that great epistle of the Apostle Paul. I believe it's number 805 in our hymn books, the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight?, In that song, we find the words, believe, obey, the work is done. In one sense, those words are correct, aren't they? Uh, It doesn't require a great Herculean task to become a Christian. Simple enough to believe and obey the gospel. The terms of the gospel are straightforward. Again, it doesn't take a mighty work or a strong man or a a lot of wealth or uh, a lot of academic training to understand That we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and repent of our sins and be willing to stand up and confess that faith and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and we can become a Christian. Believe obey the work of being justified and made right in the sight of God. That work is done. But in another way those words are really inadequate aren't they? Believe obey the work is done. Better to say, in in another context perhaps, believe, obey, the works begun. Because becoming a Christian is only the beginning of living a life that's right in the sight of God. And and so it would be incorrect to think, well, you know, now that I've become a Christian, I don't need to do anything else. The the work is over. The work is done. Now, in, in another sense, I'm not saying that in the context of the song, yes, the words are correct, But in another context, really, the works only begun. And so becoming a Christian is the beginning of a new life in Christ, a life that comes with new responsibilities. In the book of Romans, Paul discusses both the doctrine of justification by faith, an obedient faith, and the daily obligations on those who have been justified. And so how are we made right with God Well, we made right with God through the gospel, God's power to save. And then when we are right with God, when we are made right with God, well, then a new life begins, a life of responsibility and spiritual duty. And so those who obey the gospel, those who accept the gospel and believe it and and obey it, they are required to live by it as well. And Paul speaks about those two things at great length. In Romans chapter 6, he introduces the idea of being dead to sin, but now alive to Christ. When you became a Christian, you died to sin, but now you live a new life, a life alive to Christ. He also says that you've been made free from sin. Sin was that oppressive master, that oppressive slave owner that you were enslaved to, but, but now you've been made free from sin but enslaved to God. Now you live a life as a servant or a slave to God, and you will throughout the course of your life. In the middle of that discussion in Romans chapter 6, he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Sin shall not be master over you. You're not under law but grace. And so, now that you're a Christian, don't present the members of your body as tools or instruments for unrighteousness. No, you have a duty now to use your body as an instrument and the members of your body as instruments or weapons or tools for righteousness. Now, he comes back to that idea in Romans chapter 12. He begins to fill in the details of how we are to present ourselves as instruments of righteousness. What does it mean to be dead to sin and alive to God and freed from sin and enslaved to God? He summarizes that idea in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, and that's going to be the focus of our attention today. We've begun the work of living as a Christian, of living to God, of being enslaved to God. Now, let's fill in the details of that. What does it mean in a very practical way, living a life that's devoted to God? He says in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so what do we need to do day to day? Well, we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so in a sense when we get up in the morning we need to think about now how can I use my hands in service to the Lord today? How can I use my mouth in God's service today? How can I use my feet and my ability to get from place to place to serve God today? As I go through my life, I'm like one of those Old Testament priests that worked in the temple. Everything that I do my whole life is centered around my service to God. I'm presenting myself and presenting my body A living and holy sacrifice. At the end of the verse, verse 2, we are to prove what the will of God is. And so what's my duty as a Christian? Well, I need to understand and accept and be able to identify what God's will is and then do it. And so those two things, understand what God's, God's will is and then offer myself in sacrifice in service to His will. And so, in a sense, that's the elaboration, that's the comment on presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, presenting the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. But what we're going to focus on in the time we have left this morning is the two things in the middle here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, in order to present my body a living sacrifice, in order really to understand and prove what the will of God is, there are a couple of things that I need to do. The first one of these is not to be conformed to the world. If I'm going to understand what the will of God is, I can't think and do like the world. And so, I've got to resist being conformed to the world. Maybe at this point a couple of definitions are in order. Some versions may say this age. Don't be conformed to this age. But I think most say to the world. But the idea is this. It's a very common word, the word world. We use it quite often. We talk about the world and being worldly or practicing worldliness. There In the Bible is now, the now age, this age, and the age to come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul identifies Satan as the god of this world. And so if we're not going to be conformed to the world, we need to understand it's because Satan is the god of this world. Verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 4, in whose case the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so this world is governed by and ruled, uh, ruled by Satan. He is the God of this world. He's in control of this world. In the book of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, we find another reference to the world. Only this time it says that Christ gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age. Now there's the same word translated world over in Romans chapter 2. This present evil world, this present evil age, and so Christ gave Himself to rescue us from this present world, the world under uh, the over which Satan rules as God, so that He might He might deliver us. One writer says, "The world is the course of the world apart from Christ, and under the control of sin." What is the world? It's that realm apart from Christ and under the control of sin. John uses a different word but in a very similar way in 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Another writer says, the world in this particular passage refers to the present condition of human affairs in alienation from and opposition to God. This age, this world is the sin-dominated, death-producing realm. All of us have lived in it, and most people continue to live in it today. And so don't be conformed to the world. Its master is Satan. It's an evil age. It's a world that's controlled and dominated by lust and pride. It's passing away. And so we don't want to be conformed to it. To be conformed means to model something after another, to take its shape, to make one thing like another. So if I have a little figurine and, and I want to reproduce that figurine to make a, 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 a one that's exactly like it, i give me a lump of clay and I conform that clay to the figurine and from that clay I can make an exact reproduction of of the figurine. And so we don't want to conform, we don't want to adapt to. We don't want to model our lives after this world, the world that's dominated and ruled by Satan. The only other place that this particular word is found is in the book of First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 in verse 14 where Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Similar idea. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to the former lusts that were yours in ignorance. So Paul tells Christians not to live their lives like the world. Don't live your lives according to the lifestyle that characterizes this age. Don't yield to the pressure to be squeezed into the mold of this world, and the pattern of behavior that typifies it. We're not to live according to the world. Now, we live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Well, let's think about that idea a little bit. If we're going to avoid being conformed to the world, we need to be I- to identify the typical behaviors of the world, don't we? So if I'm, if I'm telling my children, now, don't be conformed to the world, now, you need to know what to look out for. <laughs> And so what are the typical behaviors of the world that we want to try to avoid? What what behaviors characterize the world? As you go about your life, we live in the world. And so as you go about your life, what are the three or four things that might be maybe impress you as characteristic of this world? Well, let me suggest a few. There's a style of dress that's typical of the world. It's characteristic of the world. A trip to any popular shopping area will, will reveal that to us. Clothing of the world often draws attention to and accentuates the body, the form and the figure of the body. Shorts that these days, I mean, barely cover, barely, barely cover. Shorts and skirts that are social, sh- that draw attention to the body. Low necklines that draw attention to the body we're encouraged to show off more of the body, which clearly appeals to the flesh as it's that's, that's the that's the purpose of that kind of clothing, to appeal to the flesh, and it incites a response that is equally of the flesh. The lust of the flesh, that's typical of the world, and it manifests itself in worldly dress and worldly clothing. There's a certain pattern of speech that is of the world, that is of this age. Now, it doesn't take... Now, I'm, I'm a little protected from that, I, I have to admit. But I know at school and at work and even in the home these days, profane and obscene speech is it's just everywhere. It's ubiquitous. <laughs> it, it's everywhere. And it's getting worse. I mean, all entertainment that is intended for adults to watch... It, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's filled with, certainly it, it has this kind of language in it. Now, there was a time, I think, in our culture where if you were in mixed company, you, you sort of resisted using that kind of language. But, but now that, that's not a, a hindrance at all, not even in the presence of children. You go to a ball game, and the guy's sitting right behind you, down the row in front of you, and there's kids around, and his language is as profane and obscene as if he were just with a bunch of other guys. That's typical of the world. That's common in the world, certain pattern of speech. People of this age live to indulge the flesh. And I suppose that particular approach to life has only increased over the last 50, 60 years. The world pursues any activity that feels good. Drunkenness, whether through alcohol or some other substance, that gets you inebriated. Well, that, that's, that's very commonly pursued in the world. Sexual activity in any form is common in the world. So whatever a person might find physically stimulating is pursued as much and as possible as often. I think about the line from the song... <laughs> Everything all the time. Well, that that's that's the behavior of the world. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about some that are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose God is their belly, their, their stomach, and it may simply be a sort of a, a part of the body that stands for all sensual or a fleshly pleasure, their, their God is their belly, they're ruled by the sensual appetites, the fleshly appetites, and they want to indulge them. It's typical of the world. And people of this age often accumulate the things of this age. A person's success is often measured by what he has. Is he successful or how much does he have? How big is what he has? What's the brand or the label in what he has? What's the monetary value of what he has? And so our success is measured by things of this world, by material things acquired for their own sake. Jesus talks about those who lay up treasure for themselves. They lay up treasure on earth for themselves. Well, it's typical of the world, isn't it? And so here are some behaviors, and you may have thought of others, that are typical of the world. So our point is, don't be conformed to the world. The world has a certain style of dress, a certain style of speaking. It's, uh, it's self-indulgent. It's, it seeks to accumulate material things. And if we are not to be conformed to the world, we, we can't take the same approach to life and pursue the same things. But you know what? Those are only manifestations of a deeper problem, really. And so the way we dress is a manifestation of the way we think. And what we pursue in life is a manifestation of our goal, the way we think, and the way we speak is a manifestation of what's in our heart. Well, Jesus talks about this. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, and we'll pick up in verses 19 and 20. Matthew 15, 19 and 20. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile the man. But he with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Verse 18 says, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man. And so your behavior reflects what's in your heart. If there are bad things in your heart, well then your behavior is going to be consistent with that. And so the behaviors we've talked about are really manifestations of what's in the heart. The God of this world knows that if people think the way He wants them to think, He's won the battle. If I can get you to think in the way I want you to think, I've won the battle and eventually I will win the war for your soul. Because you see, what's in your heart is eventually going to manifest itself in your behavior. We might avoid many behaviors of the world for a time, but if we continue to think like the world, we're not going to avoid the behavior of the world forever. Our goal is not only to avoid the behaviors of the world, but it's thinking. And so in our preaching and our teaching, whether it's from the pulpit or behind the Bible class lectern or parents teaching their children at home, We not only want to persuade people not to conform to the world in act, but also in thought. The act is only part of the objective. We want to address the root of the problem. So how does the world think? If we're going to avoid being conformed to the world, that's that's an important question. How does the world think? And so we want to avoid that. Well, I just want to read a few passages that uh, will illustrate the point. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians four seventeen. This I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the form of life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Well, notice all the words that have to do with thinking, their mind, their understanding, their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of impurity with greediness." So notice, notice those attitudes there. Notice those ways of thinking, sensuality, impurity, greediness. Look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, "...therefore consider the members of your body, of your earthly body, as dead to immorality." Now notice, And some of these are behaviors, but some of them are ways of thinking. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Verse 8, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. And so again, we're highlighting the ways of thinking that are typical of the world. Greed and anger and malice. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Again, a passage that highlights or really mixes together both practice and thought, but for our purposes, we're at this point, we're noticing the ways of thinking, beginning in verse 21. Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they came futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals and creatures. And so their heart was darkened. And so how did that manifest itself in, in idolatry? And so let's get down to verse 28. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. So notice, notice the connection between the mind and the action. A depraved mind to do the things that are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, di- disobedient parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, un- unloving, and unmerciful. And then we'll notice one other passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1, Realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these." So, based on the reading of those three or four passages, what are the characteristic ways of thinking we find in the world? Well, the world is motivated by sensuality and impurity and lust. It's obvious to any spiritually minded person. It used to be that if you wanted to use something that was overtly sensual in nature, you had to go looking for it. Not anymore. Oh, we live in a world that's controlled and driven by sensuality and impurity and lust. It comes looking for you. The world is motivated by greed and covetousness and materialism. The love of money and the desire for wealth. It's what drives the lives of many. Paul talks about 1 Timothy chapter 6. The desire for excess and self-indulgence. 2 Timothy chapter 3, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The idea that you only go around once in life, so grab all the gusto you can is the motto of many. Again, everything all the time. The world is motivated by self-centeredness, lovers of self. It's all about me. From time to time I'll, I'll share with you some things that I heard around the house growing up some of them are kind of kind of funny but I don't know this one especially funny but you know if if I would say you know well I want to do this or I, I wish I had that or I want to I want to go here what I was told on more than one occasion is the world does not revolve around you anybody ever told that other than me the world I don't see anybody's hands or Kevin was Shane was <laughs> the world, I don't know if parents tell their children that anymore. Look, the world does not revolve around you. It's not all about you. There are other people in the world and their interests come before yours. (laughs) You need to learn that and the faster you learn it, the better off you're going to be. That's a a good lesson. I don't, today people want to overturn thousands of years of practice because you know the way I feel, I expect everybody to cater to me. (laughs) Now, that's typical of the world, isn't it? Self centeredness. The world doesn't revolve around you. That produces a lack of respect for God and neighbor, which leads to many evil deeds. The world is controlled by pride and conceit and arrogance. The world is boastful. It's always been a problem. Some see pride as really at the root of all sin. So pride is a problem. The pride of life, the vainglory of life John identifies, envy and jealousy. Imagine the evil deeds that have been produced by envy and jealousy. James in James chapter 3, verse 16 says, Where selfish ambition and envy exist, there is disorder and every evil thing anger and hatred and malice drive the world, whether these things are deep beneath the surface, you know, there's that anger that's deep within us and kind of seethes there and kind of uh, simmers there and eventually it might break out in this behavior or that. Or it's just the explosive act of anger, neither one of them is good and produces anything good. And so what we want to do is be able to identify not only the behaviors of the world, But the thought, the thinking of the world, how does the world think? I don't want to think that way. If I'm going to be, if I'm not going to be conformed to the world, I can't think like the world. And so avoiding the behavior of the world is only part of the goal. We need to, well, Paul says it in Romans chapter 12, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Yeah, change the way you think. You know, when our our children were little, they came out with the the toys, the Transformers, you know, the Transformers. If you're under 30, you know all about Transformers. What is a Transformer? Well, it's a kind of a robot-like thing, it's a toy, but then you can change its form. It changes from a robot into a car, into a plane, into a weapon. Well we need to to change our form. We need to transform our way of thinking. It used to be this, and it needs to change into this. Now, this passage tells us how to do that. By the renewing of your mind. And so, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Can you think of some people in the New Testament that underwent a transformation? Well, the first one on my list is Saul of Tarsus. I mean, just think about what he was as a Jew, a persecutor, injurious, tried to persuade people to blaspheme, sometimes in very violent ways. And then, after his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, and then he becomes a Christian, he's baptized into Christ, then he's the total opposite, a complete transformation, an advocate of the gospel, an apostle, an ambassador for Christ. Now, that's a transformation, but there are others. The people on the day of Pentecost. Peter says, You, by the hands of lawless men, you crucified him, you slew him. By the end of the chapter, they're asking, What can we do to become disciples of his? It's a transformation. In Acts chapter 19, we read about some Ephesians. And they were practitioners of magic. But when they became Christians, Not only did they turn away from it, they brought their magic books and had them burned. I can't just imagine a big bonfire of magic books. That's transformation. The Thessalonians turned from idols to serve the living God. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10. That's transformation. And true transformation begins with a renewing of the mind. Instead of lustful, sensual thinking, We learn to think pure thoughts. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is a good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on or think on these things. Instead of greed, we cultivate contentment. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I've learned in whatever circumstances I am to be content. Instead of self-serving and self-indulgence, we practice self-control and self-restraint. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I discipline my body, I make it my slave, I practice self-control. Instead of pride and arrogance and me-centered life, we cultivate humility, Colossians 3 and verse 12. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion kindness, humility. I like 1 Peter 5, verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility. Instead of envy and jealousy, we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Instead of anger and hatred and malice, we pursue peace with all men. We cultivate patience and love. We love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, we don't conform to the behavior of the world. We don't conform to the thinking of the world. We begin to think in a different way, and then that produces godly behavior. And so we cultivate godliness and holiness. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where Paul talks about uh, women adorning themselves in modest apparel, I think maybe the key to the verse is not, not necessarily in definitions of modesty and discreetly and so forth, it's really verse 10, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. That's the key. <laughs> developing a godly attitude, developing a godly approach to life. And that's going to manifest itself in the way we dress and the way we talk and every, everything else for that matter. Men and women are to avoid sensuality in, in every respect. We're not to give provision for the flesh. Men and women alike, whether the way we act or the way we dress or the way we talk. We're to practice self control. Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self control. We should never be out of control when we speak. If a certain speech pattern is characteristic in the world, we can't, we have to think differently from the world so that our speech is different from the world. James chapter 1. Verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet doesn't bridle his tongue, we can bridle our tongue. This man's religion, he says, is worthless. Our speech is to be with grace, seasoned with salt. You know, if our hearts are full of grace, our words will be full of grace, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there's grace in our hearts, there's going to be grace in our words. And if we have the mind of the Spirit, Romans 8 verse 4 tells us, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. Uh, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And So if we are walking according to the Spirit and thinking, if we have the mind of the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. And if we make heaven our goal, not this world, if we make heaven our goal, our mind, set our mind on things that are above, Colossians 3 and verse 1, and learn to be content with what God provides us. You see, if we're not content, that's really a reflection on God's provision, isn't it? And so if we can set our, if heaven is our goal, and set our mind on on what's above, and learn to be content with what we have, we can avoid the addiction to material things that so characterizes the world. And so the appropriate way of thinking not only enables us to avoid worldly behavior, it enables us to develop godly behavior and then go on to fulfill our spiritual duty. You see, you see, when we can do this, now we're in a position. See, if we, can, if we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, if we can resist being conformed to the world, you see, now we're in a position to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Now you're in a position to understand and know what the will of God is. And so, here are two things in the middle of this passage that inform the two things on the outside of the passage. And the key to accomplishing the outside is accomplishing the inside as well. So, how are we doing in our efforts to be transformed? How are we doing? Some of us may be new Christians and just beginning that that process. Some of us may be older Christians, maybe even Christians for a while. How, how are you doing? Are you more and more transformed? Are you thinking less and less like the world and more and more in a spiritual way? Uh, if, if so, great. <laughs> if not, okay, we need to get to work. Maybe thinking like this, lessons like this will help a little bit. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, the Lord's day. We're thankful for the opportunity we've had today to come together and to worship you And Father, we pray that our worship today has been acceptable, that it has been offered in spirit and truth, and that you've been pleased with it. Our Father, we pray that we understand that when we become Christians, that we are beginning a new life, a life that comes with responsibilities and obligations. Help us, Father, to become more and more the people that you would have us to be, spiritually minded and fulfilling our spiritual duty. Help us, Father, to understand the nature of the world. Help us to see the practices of the world, a world that's dominated by Satan, a world that's evil, and a world that will not last. And, Father, help us to resist being conformed to the world in which we live. Father, we pray for transformation, and we understand that begins by developing a new kind of mind, a new way of, think- of thinking, one that's fashioned according to your will and then one that will produce actions that are pleasing to you. Help us, Father, to be dedicated to that and be committed to that today and in the days to come. Help us to become more and more like Christ in what we think and what we do, so that through Him we might have entrance to the eternal kingdom. We pray these things in His name. Amen.